Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. The song is over. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Welcome to Lake, welcome to Lake Point. Hey, my name is uh, Mike Bro, in case never met before, and I'm on the teaching team here, so it's a thrill for me every time I get to see your faces and hang out here on a weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses and those that might be joining us online. Uh, super grateful for you. And whenever you're ready, we got a campus waiting for you, and we'd love to get to meet you officially face-to-face. Uh, we're kicking off a new series this weekend. Uh, where we're going to be uh, talking about what we're all about a- as a church. And in short, uh, we're all about love because that's what we're called to do. The Bible tells us very pl- plainly that the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. It tells us that there are three things that last, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Our leader Jesus told us that we are to love each other just as He has loved us, even told us that we are to love our enemies. And all that talk about selfless love was and still is super radical. And you know, Jesus said a lot of super radical stuff, selfless, upside down, countercultural stuff. There's a radical prayer that he taught us to pray. And maybe you've experienced this prayer, maybe as an athlete, you you took a knee in the locker room, or you took a knee on the field, and you huddled up, and you prayed what was known as the Lord's Prayer. Or, or maybe you prayed it as a family around the dinner table, or maybe in the church that you grew up, you would recite that prayer every, every week. Back when I used to sing a little bit at weddings, yes, I'm a former wedding singer, uh, I probably sang the Lord's Prayer dozens of times as well as endless love, which was a disaster. <laughs> uh, but I want to I put that prayer up on the screens. And if you feel comfortable, uh, and I'm sure many of you can just recite it from memory, but we're going to put it up in the old King James Version, and we can just maybe read it out loud together. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Seems like a lot of us are familiar with with praying that prayer. Now, of course, we should never pray in a formulaic, ritualistic kind of way. We're supposed to come to God honestly in our own way, with our normal voice, with non-King James language. But we do come to him as the name above all names, as the holy transcendent God. We, we do come to him as a good, good father, our, our gracious provider, our forgiver, the, the source of life. And we pour in our hearts of gratitude and worship and praise, as well as our disappointments, our anger, our confusion, our fear. The point that Jesus was making here 
is just talk to your father. Just talk to your father. He's longing to hear from you. And I love that little section where he said this, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we come to God saying, God, we know that you are holy, you're transcendent, you are the name above every other name, and you are a good, good father. And we pray that your kingdom be expanded from heaven to earth. Your will be done right here just as it's done up there. In other words, more simply, we pray this, oh God, may up there come down here. Because let's face it, there are so many kingdoms trying to recruit us and sway us and entice us and vying for our allegiance. And all of these kingdoms are taking so many people captive and wrecking lives and wrecking families. So it's my passion. It's the passion of this church to point people to the only kingdom worth pursuing. So we pray, oh God, may up there come down here and may you bring it through us. The kingdom of God was critical to the uh, teaching and mission of Jesus. It's mentioned dozens of times throughout the first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels or the, or the Good News. Jesus told all kinds of stories, used all kinds of metaphor, all kinds of parables to describe and expand our understanding of God's kingdom. For instance, uh, Jesus describes the kingdom of God like a, like a wedding banquet, this feast, this place of laughter and joy and music and dancing and food, like a blowout party, and everybody is invited to this party. The host wants everyone to come. Sadly, not all will RSVP. Talking about God's kingdom, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a buried treasure in a field. And he tells this really cool story about this guy who finds this buried treasure in a farm field. One problem, he doesn't own the farm, so he enters into negotiation with the farmer, says, I want to buy your field. He gets a really high above market value on it, but he knows what the field is worth because he knows what's buried in that field. So this guy goes home, and he has a garage sale, like sells his Bowflex, his boat, his PlayStation, his 401k, cashes it out, gets enough cash to buy that. That farm with that buried treasure. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Once you find it, you'd be crazy not to give up everything you own so that, that priceless treasure could be yours. He talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, how from a tiny, tiny little seed comes this huge and expansive tree. And what gets planted inside of us, that tiny seed of faith begins to grow and flourish, and we become noticeably different people. And speaking of seeds, he, he talked about how the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sows some seed, and some of it falls on rocky ground, and some of it falls among the weeds, but some of it falls in good soil. And those hearts with good, rich soil end up producing a lot of fruit with their life. Jesus talked about how the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, causing hope to rise everywhere it permeates. Wherever the kingdom of God goes, hope rises. Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. One time he picked up a little kid and said, unless you become like this little kid right here, you won't be able to see the kingdom of God. He also said that it's really hard for those who are self-sufficient in their own wealth to humble themselves like that child and thus embrace the kingdom of God. One day directing his words to the religious hypocrites, he told them that not everyone who pretends to know me will enter the kingdom of God. He told those same religious Pharisees that they were in fact slamming the door of God's kingdom in people's faces. He told us that if we would all just seek God's kingdom first, if we would depend upon him like the birds of the air do, like the grass of the field does, then everything we need will be provided for us. And I, for one, want to pursue that kingdom 
So what is, what is a kingdom? I heard someone say that a kingdom is your sphere of control. It's where you rule. It's uh, that this empire that is set to your taste and your likes and your purposes and your values and your character. It's an environment arranged according to how you like it. So maybe with that definition of mine, you would say, oh, yeah, my kitchen is my domain. It's my kingdom. Or maybe you say, oh, it's my garage or it's my workshop or it's my office. You got any little kingdoms? My truck is my kingdom. I have my seat set exactly right for me. I have my mirrors adjusted for my height and the way I like to view side traffic. When my wife Debbie drives it, I don't like to have to readjust them because it's my seat and my mirrors. I've got my XM radio stations programmed to my stations. I got the base and the treble set exactly right. I got my insurance card, my registration card exactly where I can find it. I got snacks in the console. I got my sunglasses in an upper front holder. I got my tie-down straps in the bed of my truck. Don't mess with my truck. It's my domain. It's my kingdom. It reflects my style and my character and my order and my values and what I like and how I like it. Okay, the more I've rambled on, it sounds like it's such a lame illustration. But God's kingdom is the place that perfectly reflects his character and his values. It's his expansive domain where things operate the way he likes them to. Therefore, his kingdom is a place of joy and truth and grace and healing and light and forgiveness and peace and love. It is a kingdom that is right now and a kingdom that is fully to come in the future. God's kingdom is a wonderful place because he is wonderful. God's place is a good place because he is good. God's kingdom is, is a just place because he is just. It's a strong place because he is strong. It's a loving place because he is love. God's kingdom perfectly reflects who he is and the way he likes it. So again, we pray, oh Lord, may up there come down here. I want to show you a word that has helped me think about the kingdom of God. The word is modnik. Now you look at that and go, okay, bro, is that a Greek word? Is that a Hebrew word? Is that like an Aramaic word? Nope, just a made-up word. But I think it describes God's kingdom, which is so radically different than any other kingdom on this earth. So let's just work through it one letter at a time. In God's kingdom, more is less, and less is actually more. That's what the M stands for. More is less. And less is more. You talk about countercultural, because in the kingdoms of this world, more is more, right? That's the rule of our society. You, that's the quest. That's the pursuit. You perform. You, you, you gain. You, you climb. You accumulate. You, you win. And you do it no matter how you got to do it, no matter how many people you got to step on or over. It's, it's because it's all about you and building your kingdom, your empire, because on this planet, more is more. Not so in the kingdom of God. Jesus gathered his disciples together one time, and he told them, if, anyone, if anybody wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? 
If you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? Here's Jesus saying, the more that you're looking for, it's found in less. In this kingdom, the way to become full is to empty yourself, to lay down your pride, to lay down your rights and your attempts to control all the outcomes. Just lay your ego on the altar and follow wherever I lead you. He says, listen, you want the adventure of a lifetime? Then loosen your grip. Give up control. Surrender to my leadership, and your life will be this thrill ride of purpose and passion and deep, deep satisfaction. Because in this countercultural kingdom, more is less, and less is more. In fact, in this kingdom, it's always others first. It's others first kind of kingdom. Here's a scripture I've made every couple I've married through the years memorized. Used it at all three of my kids' weddings. Uh, we've done a Sunday lunch at our home. For as long as I can remember, we got family and friends and cousins and aunts and uncles and neighbors and people from church. Anybody can just show up. Um, and Debbie will get everybody in, in the kitchen circled up, and she'll say, anybody got a verse? And one of the little kids will always go, oh, 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 and have a verse, you know. And then what we'll do is we'll, they'll say the verse, they'll say a few words of the verse, and then we'll repeat it back, and they'll keep on rolling. So if you don't mind, I mean, I want to throw this scripture up. And then I, well, I want to do it like we're at Sunday lunch, okay? We're going to circle up kind of, and I'm going to say a few words, and you repeat it back to me. It's Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, and it goes like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You see, in this kingdom, others are first. In this kingdom, relationships matter. People don't power up on other people in this kingdom. People don't bully other people in this kingdom. They don't degrade. They don't make fun of. They don't talk about each other in this kingdom. No, in this kingdom, people honor each other above themselves. They attach a high price tag to other people. They live out the radical new commandment that Jesus gave us to love as he has loved us. In this kingdom, people mourn with those who mourn. They even celebrate when something good happens to another person that didn't happen to them. In this kingdom, nobody would ever flex their position. They wouldn't use their title to gain an advantage. They would never pay back evil for evil. In this kingdom, they don't hold grudges. They don't seek revenge. And they're the first ones to pick up a mop or pick up a, a, a scrub brush and scrub a toilet and put a towel over their arm and just go serve somebody. Because in this kingdom, it's others first. I may have shown you this before, but I personally need to see it often. Um, Right before his crucifixion, Jesus' guys were arguing about positions and power and prestige and talking about greatness. I mean, testosterone was flowing. So he gives them four words that have been a game changer for me as a leader, as a husband, as a dad, as a neighbor. Uh, four words that I think all of us need to be reminded of from time to time. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the ruler of the Gentiles, talking about the Roman culture, you know how how the, the leaders that kind of lord it over people and their high officials exercise authority over them. And here's the four words, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God is a radical, not so with you kind of place. So this week, when you're tempted to power up on somebody, hear him say, not so with you. When you're tempted to cut in line, not so with you. When you want to post some negative rant on social media, not so with you. When you want to pay back your brother or your sister for the way they treat you, not so with you. It's an others first kind of kingdom. In fact, in this kingdom, you actually descend into greatness. That's what the D stands for. You descend into greatness. We, we, we talked about this before, how, how ego stands for edging God out. Uh, you and I can get so full of ourselves that there's no room for anybody else, uh, including God. And eventually your ego locks you up in a self-imposed prison. And I've been there way too long in my life. And it's an awful way to live your life. So Jesus comes along and says, there's a much, much better way to live. Watch me. And Jesus taught and modeled this radical version of humility. He actually redefined greatness, saying in God's kingdom, you actually descend into greatness. There's an awesome passage of scripture found in a little book called Philippians in the back of the New Testament. It's in chapter 2, and it follows that don't be selfish verse that we just read back and forth with each other. This passage actually became one of the favorite worship songs of the early church. It reminded them to choose to lay their ego on the altar the way Jesus did. And this is the way it starts. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's the first step toward greatness in this kingdom. This is how you lay your ego on the altar. You choose to embrace the same radical approach to humility that Jesus chose. You choose to walk through life with the same mindset of Jesus. You roll out of bed every day making a conscious choice and asking the Holy Spirit to keep you humble and remind you throughout the day that you are not the center of the universe. You say, God, today in regard to my own self-importance, in regard to my own ego, I choose to have the same mindset of Jesus who really is the center of the universe. So choose to have the same mindset of Jesus, verse 6, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that word in the very nature God is the Greek word morpha, which means the essence. So this doesn't mean that Jesus was sort of like God or that Jesus had a few godly characteristics, or Jesus was able to do a little supernatural magic from time to time. No, no, no. It means in the very essence, God. In reality, he was God, is God, creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created by him and for him, and he holds all things together. God in the flesh, God incarnate, he was, is fully God, the great I am. But Jesus made a choice. He said, even though I could, I'm not going to cling to my divine rights. Even though it all actually is mine, I'm not going to clench my fist and hold tightly to it. I'm going to open my hands, and I'm going to lay my ego on the altar and fully surrender to the will of the Father. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Some of y'all might be downscaling uh, these days. 
Uh, Debbie and I just uh, moved uh, three weeks ago back to Kentucky, and uh, everything we owned fit in the back of my Tacoma. So we really are downscaling. Uh, you might be an empty nester. You're going from a two-story house to a one-story house because your knees are shot. Or you might be moving out of your parents' home and you're moving into a little tiny dorm room that you're going to share with eight people. Or maybe you're going from a monster truck to like a Prius. We all downscale eventually. But man, you want to talk about downscaling? Jesus goes from transcending time and space to being fenced in by Middle Eastern geography. He goes from absolute perfection to learning how to walk, having ear infections and zits and throwing up and experiencing hunger and exhaustion to know what it feels like to be hot, to sweat, to get hungry, to be laughed at, to be rejected, to be spit upon, to have nails driven through your hands and your feet. Talk about downscaling. And make no mistake, he did not lay down his divinity. He laid down his self. He crucified his ego. He nailed his self-interest to the cross, thus saving us from ourselves. And all he's asking you and me to do is do the dishes without griping. Go last in line. Let somebody else have that parking spot. The one who voluntarily went to the cross is asking you and me to apologize to our spouse to pick up the phone and forgive somebody, to tell your daughter how proud you are of her, to treat your little brother with respect, to tell somebody what they mean to you, to walk across the street and serve your elderly neighbor. Because in this kingdom, in this kingdom, you lay your ego on the altar and you actually descend into greatness. And since this is a kingdom of selflessness, you might also imagine it's a place where generosity just flows. Generosity flows in this kingdom. See, most kingdoms are a, a game of thrones, so to speak. It's all about conquering and plundering and stockpiling assets, but not in God's kingdom. In fact, in this one, generosity flows like a river. In fact, our leader said one time, give, it'll be given to you. In fact, it's much better to give than it is to get. And when Jesus said all that, he wasn't unpacking a sermon on tithing. He was just stating a fundamental law of life, that generosity is simply the best way to live. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because a whole bunch of us were formerly self-centered, stingy people who are now experiencing the rush and the fun and the freedom of a generous lifestyle. I mean, when you know that God's using a sizable chunk of your income to build an orphanage somewhere in this world, when you know that you're using your resources to feed and clothe kids around the world in your own city, when you know you're being used to bring hope to inmates and victims of sex trafficking and, and homeless individuals, when you're advancing the cause of Jesus Christ all over Texas and beyond, man, it's a rush. It's such a deeply satisfying thing. And there's all kinds of secular studies out there right now that show that the happiest people on the planet are those who regularly just give themselves away. Research shows that people who are generous with their home, with their time, with their food, with their hospitality, with their money, people who live beyond themselves, who volunteer, coach, mentor, serve other people, they tend to flourish in life. And I just want everybody to experience that kind of generosity. And you need to know, as fun as it is, and deeply fulfilling as it is to live a generous life, it's still not about us. We don't do it because it makes us feel good. It's about God working through us. We're just gratefully representing Jesus. In fact, did you catch how the G in Modnik is silent? 
True generosity always is. You see, in this kingdom, it's a not-to-us kind of kingdom. We, we sing, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Now, it is deeply gratifying using our gifts. It is a rush giving and serving and making a difference. But even then, it's, it's not about us. It's a not-to-us kind of kingdom. One time, Jesus said to a group of people on the hillside, they were all looking for purpose. He looked at them and said, you, you listen, you, I'm talking to you. You are the light of the world. Go shine. That's our simple marching orders. Go shine. You know, every now and then I wake up in the middle of the night. Most time it's a pee, but sometimes I get something on my mind, and, and I just got to write it down. And every now and then my mind just gets swirling. And I got up one morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I just had to open up my laptop, and I just got typing. And it, this just flowed out of me. I've always loved how the Bible begins where it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So I just sat down 3 o'clock in the morning and just started writing. This came out of me. This world has grown dark, surrounded by night. And Jesus cries out, let there be light. When kids are abused and women are used, let there be light. When men are judged by their color or the race of their mother, oh, let there be light. When hearts are broken and cruel words are spoken, oh, let there be light. When markets crash and hopes are dashed, when dreams are squelched and a friend cries for help, let there be light. When addictions wreak havoc and self-destruction becomes habit, when prodigals are lost and look for a way, when depression comes and clouds the day, oh, let there be light. When children go hungry and corruption robs their dreams because nations oppress and politicians scheme, oh, let there be light. When Satan spins lies and identities are stolen, when you're made to feel useless and shame becomes normal, let there be light. When minds become foggy and confusion takes over, when the truth becomes blurred and love becomes colder, let there be light. You are the light of the world. Shine, guide, warm someone's soul, a reflection of love from the giver of hope. With kindness and compassion, move through your day so others might see that there is a way, a way that brings life and freedom and glory to the only true God who is writing this story, the epic story of love so relentless and fierce that it led to a cross where his hands would be pierced so all could be forgiven and free from the night, that all may know the source of all light. And this light can never be contained. It cannot be put out, snuffed out, restrained. Though many have tried, his light still remains. May his compassion be caught through us. May his love be brought by us, that this world may spot in us, Jesus, the light of the world. This is our calling, our destiny, our life, to walk through our world saying, let there be light. So Jesus told us, go shine. You are the light of the world. That's your job description. But did you catch the so that that Jesus attached to this? He said, let your light shine before others. Here it is. So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's still not about us. One of the things I love about the teams that stand on stage at all of our Lake Point campuses 
is no one is seeking the spotlight. Everybody's desire is just to throw a floodlight on God. In our hearts, we really do sing, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. Again, God wired us up so we would experience the thrill of using our gifts and bringing light to a dark world. But in this kingdom, we're not clamoring for applause. We're not expecting thank you notes. We're not chasing likes. We deflect all praise, all applause, all honor to the one who puts breath in our lungs because it's a not to us kind of kingdom. And unlike most kingdoms that become exclusive little clubs with like velvet ropes and big bicep bouncers standing there, the kingdom of God is radically inclusive. It's an inclusive king. Everyone's invited. Okay, real, real quick questions. Classic rock lovers. Which decade had the best music? How many of you say this decade? Okay, great. Uh, what about the early 2000s? What about the 90s? Best decade of music. Yeah, a few of you. All right, how, what about the 80s? Wow, a bunch of you guys. Wow. Yeah, you're all wrong. It was the 70s. The 70s had the best music. Um, there's, a, there's a really obscure band, uh, kind of an obscure song. Uh, the song wasn't as obscure, but the, but the band was. It's called the Five Man Electrical Band. And uh, they, they did a song back in the 70s. I think the group Tesla may have covered it in the 90s or something like that and redone it. Redid it. But a song called Signs, remember this song? It was a song that said, sign, sign everywhere, sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? That, that song. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they loved that song because they hung up lots of signs. They were all about do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? And they created this exclusive little religious country club designed to keep the undesirables out. They, ev they even labeled people as notorious sinners. So in their presence, Jesus tells these stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost boys, and how the father of lavish grace wants everybody to be found. He wants everyone to be at home with him. In fact, he goes out of his way searching for lost people. In the story about the lost sheep, he, he talks about how a shepherd has 100 sheep, but he loses one. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes looking for the one. I may have told you this story before about a guy we got to baptize in Valencia, California. He was a former Hell's Angel guy. He was standing there in the water, and he had like a, you know, a tank, tank top on, just big old ripped dude. Had a tattoo on his shoulder, said 1% on the shoulder. And Hell's Angels gang members, a lot of them get up, have a 1%er tattoo somewhere. The 1% just means we are lawless. We're the 1% that don't care about anybody or anything. We're just the one percenters. He said, I started coming to this church and I heard you guys talking about how God leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Man, this, this tattoo means something totally different to me now because I, I am a one percenter. He came looking for me. The kingdom of God is radically inclusive. Gang, there is hope for everyone. The kingdom of God is for bikers and bankers, for bartenders and bus drivers, for rednecks and referees, for porn stars and painters, for prom queens and principals, for pediatricians and plumbers, Pharisees and pharmacists, presidents and pastors. He is full of grace and he loves people deeply. You have never locked eyes with someone that Jesus did not die for. And I want to look at all people through the eyes of Jesus. And I know I speak for Pastor Josh and the whole team here. We want everybody to know that this kingdom is available for anybody looking for hope. 
Everyone is included. And I, for one, am eternally grateful that he would let a guy like me in. The people of Jesus' day were looking for the kingdom of God to come. So when Jesus taught them this prayer, I bet they were thinking, oh, your kingdom come. That's a good prayer right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it on. Let's put Israel back on top. They were expectantly looking for a powerful king to show up an eminent ruler, this economic savior. They were looking for a political messiah, the strong military conqueror that would squash Rome once and for all and set up his kingdom. But instead of any of that, in this kingdom, we find a king on a cross. To a group full of, ho a group of hopeful followers who had the same expectations of Jesus setting up his kingdom, he said one time, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. He was talking about a king on a cross. He was talking about laying his life down. He was talking about taking the punishment for the sins of the world, taking the rap for you and me. What kind of king does that? What kind of king does that? Our king does. Our king Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life. Make no mistake about it, no one took his life from him. He laid it down and thus secured victory over sin and death. And then he rose from the dead so that we could follow him right into eternal life right now and when we die. So... I know y'all are smart people, and you've already figured this out by now, right? But Modnik is just the backwards kingdom of God. Some of you, some of you not as smart as I thought you were. It's upside down, man. It is inside out. It is culturally backwards. But don't you want to be a part of a kingdom like that? Because I'm telling you, all other kingdoms pale in comparison. I want to be a part of a kingdom that looks and loves and lives like that. I want you to be a part of a kingdom like that. One that lasts forever. I want to follow a king like that. I want to model my life after a person like that. I want to pray every day, oh, Father. May your upside-down, inside-out, backwards, countercultural, radically inclusive, selfless kingdom up there, may it come down here and use all of us to make that happen. Let's pray. Father, so grateful that you came looking for us, that you searched for us because you saw us as someone of great value to you and you swung the door to your kingdom wide open. You said, if you have faith, just walk through the door. You haven't done too much. You haven't gone too far. I love you. I've been looking for you. Thank you. And I pray we'll be, always be that kind of safe place for people to, to find and, and learn how to follow you. God, there's a lot of beat up people out there that right now in our world, a lot of people searching for answers, searching for hope. Uh, some even showed up today. Some are watching online. And I thank you for the way you're tenderly right now saying, I just want to do life with you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. 
which is so radically different than anything else out there. Because in my kingdom, more is less and less is more. It's always other people first. And the way you become great is you descend into serving other people and generosity just flows out of your life. And it, even when you do that, it's not about you. It's not about you. You're not looking for a pat on the back because of your generous lifestyle. It's just, it's all about the goodness of God. I'm just trying to shine. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life. We are honored to follow a king that would do that. So thank you for what you're going to do in the next uh, few weeks. The way you're going to stretch our understanding of your kingdom. The way you're going to stretch our understanding of what it means to love as you have loved. Because that's what we want to be, God, since it's the only thing that counts. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.